Good morning. We're here to celebrate Hubert Glenn Nixon homegoing. <clears throat> Hubert Glenn passed away from this life on Wednesday, June the 24th, 2020, at the age of 88. He was a native of Kinder, Louisiana, longtime resident of Baton Rouge. He served three years in the U.S. Army and 13 months in which on the front lines of the Korean War. As soon as he was honorably discharged, he was employed by South Bell until his retirement after 35 years of service. He had a heart for the work of God and was generous and contributed to both in local and mission around the world. Most of all, he enjoyed spending time with his family. He is survived by his loving and devoted wife of 66 years, Gloria Pete Nixon. Children, Pam Eddings, Gary Nixon, Angela's wife, Paula Murphy, Glenn, and Ricky Nixon, Pam, Patty, Wingate, husband Troy, 12 grandchildren, <coughs> 22 grandchildren, and numerous other family friends. He was preceded in death of his, his father and mother, Rufus and Hattie Nixon, brother Rufus Boosie Nixon, sister Nelda Doucet, and son-in-law Ed Eddings. Family and friends are invited to sign the online guest book at greenoaksfuneralhome.com. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you this morning, O oh God, as always. We look to you and we trust in you because you are our God. You're our Savior. You're our Comforter. You're everything that we need. I pray, O oh God, that the blessings of the Lord would be upon this service this morning. Touch every heart, every life. I pray, Lord, that those that are not ready to go, that somehow the inspiration of this man would inspire them to live for you. Pray that you would anoint and bless the ministry, O oh God. Lay your hand upon them. Anoint those that are listening to the message. May it go to the heart, inspire them to do better. Pray that you'd give them traveling grace to the cemetery. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to say a few remarks because we made a few trips with uh, Hubert and Gloria. We, uh, we went to the Bahamas the first time. And we got halfway, the motor went out. We call that trip a glorified shrimp boat because it was, uh, it was something else. Then we, I remember one time uh, when we were very, very young, a couple of guys named Hubert and C.A. decided they would run away from home. But they didn't run away. They got on a horse and went, went as far as Kinder, about nine miles away, and and uh, 
decided to come back home before 12 hours was up. <laughs> they probably got hungry. <laughs> How many of you remember putting your hand on a, on a counter or a, somewhere and he'd take his knuckles and kind of bear down on them and roll it? And, uh, he, he, I think he had you know, an enjoyment in that. He got a charge out of that. He, uh, next time we went on a trip, we went to London and uh, the first surprise was when we started to get on the tube. Linda, Hubert, and Gloria got on, and, and then the door started closing. And I stuck my suitcase in the door, and it, it opened back up, and I pushed my suitcase in and jumped in and rode the rest, the rest of the way. Next thing, we were the next morning. We decided we'd catch a tube, and we had to go down a ramp to get to it. And uh, I, heard, I said, let's hurry up. There it is. So I ran and, and got on. Doors closed, and I looked out there, and there was Hubert and Gloria and, and Linda on the ramp, all surprised. They didn't know where I was going. <laughs> of course, I knew we had already planned, and I knew the, the station to get off, and I got off, and I was sitting on the, on the bench waiting for them. Then at the same, same place, we decided we would go and, and uh, watch the... Uh, guards, changing the guard, and, uh, and it was windy. I had a little old derby, and that thing blew off my head and, and, and started rolling away, and, and Hubert was laughing at me, running, trying to catch it. I finally caught it, and we got to the place, and, and uh, it was so cold. I think, I think Gloria had on high heel shoes, <laughs> but... We enjoyed our trips together. We went on a cruise to Alaska, and, and uh, we found a ship that served lemon ice cream. Hubert had to go there every night to pick up a cone of ice cream. We enjoyed our trip. One, somebody said that we were more than just a brother-in-law. We acted like brothers, but I enjoyed Hubert. Another brother-in-law. I've known Hubert all my life, uh, not all of his. I've known him a whole lot closer for the last 52 years since I married his sister, Janelle. When I was nine years old, uh, Hubert's dad decided to build my dad a house. And uh, if you knew Rufus Nixon and this family, they all came to Indian Village on the weekend, and Rufus always had a project, and they worked on something. And so for I don't know how many months, they made that trip to Indian Village, and they built the house that I grew up in and that my mom and dad lived in until they passed away. Hubert was a part of that crew. I'm not sure what they did with all the kids. 
uh, during those weekends. I'm not sure what the entertainment was. Of course, there was horses and there was all those kind of things that was part of the Nixon clan there. Hubert also is married to my mother's first cousin, Gloria. So to say the least, we are connected. I remember when he received the Holy Ghost at Louisiana camp meeting. I think Kenneth Phillips was the evangelist. For sure, Kenneth Phillips was there laying hands on him when he received the Holy Ghost that evening. Hubert and Gloria had a heart for missions. I'm sure their pastor will have something to say about that, but I was also his pastor for a period of time when uh, I came home to pastor in Indian Village. Hubert and Gloria had decided to move home, and they were living in Indian Village, and part of the plans of their house was they had a missions room. They wanted to keep every missionary that came to the church. The room was decorated from memorabilia that they had accumulated through missionary connections. How dedicated were they to missions? Well, when they both worked for South Bell, one of their salaries went to their missions pledge every month. While I was their pastor, it was a joy. It was never a dread. They had a motor home, but they were home sometimes. <laughs> and, of course, that's, that's just one of those things you accept as a pastor. That, But I don't really remember them being gone that much. Maybe they did. They, uh, they had a house that needed a lot of maintenance. And one day, uh, one of the many meals that we had at their house, my wife said, uh, Hugh, if you ever decide to sell this house, we'd like to buy it. So a few months later, we were having another one of those meals at their house, and they said, uh, we've decided to sell the house. Y'all can buy it. And so now I live in the house that he and Gloria spent many years coming on weekends, working on that house, and it was to be their retirement home. But none of the kids moved to Indian Village, so they moved back where the kids were to Baton Rouge area and uh, were closer to the children. And we are still enjoying that house today. Hubert uh, had a, a dry sense of humor. Those of you in the family know well about that. There was also another thing that Hubert liked, and that was the color blue. The house I bought from him was blue on the outside, and it was blue on the inside. What part wasn't pink? I think Gloria's part was pink, and Hubert's part was blue. Say so blue is a heavenly color, and I think... Hubert is enjoying the color where he's at today. God bless you.
His back is bent and weary. His voice is tired and low. His sword is worn from battle, and his steps have got him slow. But he used to walk on water, or it seemed that way to me. I know. Strike up the band, assemble the choir, another soldier's coming home. Another warrior hears the call, he's waited for so Another soldier 
We appreciate everyone who has come today to honor our dad and our family. And I'd like to spend a few minutes sharing with you some memories from my siblings and myself. Since I'm the oldest of the five children, I have a few more years of memories of my dad to cherish. I could tell you of his love for God and his family, for his, about his generosity in giving not only to the work of God, but also to family and others who were in need. And I could tell you about his disciplined work ethic. I've been told that during all of his working years, he only missed work for any reason at all, only a handful of times. My dad was just as disciplined with church attendance. We did not miss unless we were practically on our deathbeds. Even on vacations, our parents would seek out a small church to attend, and they would leave a small financial blessing behind. I could tell you of my dad's punctuality in all things. If you weren't at least 15 minutes early, you were late. I could tell you about his discipline in financial matters. My parents never made bills that they could not pay, and Daddy knew the value of saving for unexpected expenses. He was a man of deep faith, and although he was quiet and content to be in the background, he modeled his faith before his family, and when he prayed, things happened. He was a man of integrity and honesty. He could be trusted. Daddy loved nature and the beauty of God's creation. He loved flowers and trees and planted hundreds of them at every place we ever lived. He had the unique ability of taking a twig or a leaf from a plant and sticking them in the dirt, and they would grow into beautiful flowers and trees. The yards of every place he ever lived were creations of beauty. He loved gardening and providing fresh fruits and vegetables for our table during our growing up years. Even when we lived in Colorado on a small lot in a subdivision, Daddy made sure to keep his hot cayenne pepper plants growing in pots because no meal was complete without one or two of those fiery peppers to eat with his food. These are the kinds of values that were taught and modeled by both of our parents in our home. And all five of his Daddy's children have taken ownership of these values and we have attempted to live them and pass them down to our children and to our grandchildren. When my husband died in 2001, Daddy was especially concerned for my safety and for my welfare. He and Mother spent a month with me after the funeral and helped pack up everything in my home for my move to Springfield, Missouri. Through the years, he and Mother have assisted several times when I had a financial need. He was so committed to making sure that I was okay that even in his very final sick days, pain-filled days, he told me one day on the phone about two weeks before he died, if there was anything that I needed or wanted, he would be right there to help me in whatever way that he could. Family vacations were always important yearly events when we were growing up. And after I married, Ron continued that tradition with me and our boys. After Ron was gone, I missed those yearly traveling and sightseeing events that had been such an important part of my life. 
So Daddy stepped up to the plate and assumed the responsibility of making sure that I became a part of their vacations to places like San Antonio, Texas, Seattle, Washington, and the incredibly beautiful Butch Art Gardens in Vancouver, Canada. They once took me on a two-week cruise through the Panama Canal. The memories that we made during those trips were priceless. This morning, when I picked up my Bible to do my devotional reading before coming here, the scripture for the day came from Hebrews 12 and 1 through 2, which says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Two minutes before Daddy breathed his final breath last Wednesday evening, he opened his eyes and stared upward for a couple of minutes. He never looked at us or said a word, and then he closed his eyes and peacefully breathed his final breath. We were all certain that he had opened his eyes to witness the angelic host which had arrived to escort him to his eternal home. The peaceful presence of the Lord lingered in that room until he was taken away. So, Daddy, your race is run, and you have now joined the great cloud of witnesses who have kept the faith and arrived at their eternal home. I can only imagine that if all of you could see us now, you would be cheering for us to strip away any hindrances that would prevent us from completing our race and standing in the presence of our Savior and all the redeemed who have successfully run their race. So today, Daddy, in the presence of God and all these witnesses, I pledge that I will do whatever is necessary to complete my race with joy and join you in, don't join you in Ron and the millions of others who have already made it home. We love you, Daddy, and anticipate a grand reunion soon. This memory comes from my sister Paula. She says, Daddy, as I've been going through my memories these last few days, I've remembered so many fun times. Vacations, you made us a sack swing from the tree and, and you, you would swing with us so high. Horseback riding, gardening, farm life. But my favorite memories start after that summer of 1967 when you renewed your relationship with God. Everything changed after that. Your priorities became more God-centered, both for yourself and your family. You were always generous in giving, loving the work of God, both at home and around the world. I've watched you and Mother always be the first ones to make a mission pledge and open our home to missionaries. But that love for the work of God did not extend only to others. That last night that you were with us, you were in a coma, and you couldn't respond, but I know you heard as I reminded you of a very special thing that you did for Glenn and I. It was the fall of 1987. When we sold our home in Baton Rouge, we invested all of our equity into a travel trailer, and we evangelized for three and a half years. By the time we sold our trailer, we had just enough money left to pay our moving expenses and put a deposit on a rent house in Youngstown, Ohio which was the place God had called us. 
We knew we would be starting a new church plant in our home. We found a house to buy just a block away. It was a repo, and we could get it for a good price, but we just needed a little extra for a down payment. As I was talking to you, Daddy, about it on the phone and excitedly telling you all our plans, you said you had never helped us financially since we'd been married and you wanted to be a part of our vision in Youngstown. You said you would send us a check and you didn't want us to pay it back. We always felt like you and Mother were a big part of planting the church there. So on your last night, last Wednesday night, I remembered... And I whispered in your ear that Jesus remembered too. When I said, Jesus, your closed eyes fluttered. I love thinking that one of the last thing you heard was a reminder of your work, your love for the work of God, but also your love for your family. I surely love you, Daddy. I will remember and miss you forever. And this is memories from my youngest sister, Patty. She says, how do I sum up in just a few short sentences 88 years of a life well-lived and, more importantly, well-loved? My dad was such a gentle giant. He led our family with poise and showed us how to live our lives by just living his. He was firm, and what he said wasn't usually ever negotiable. Yet there was that so very soft side of him that melted at the sight of his kids, his grandkids, and later on his great-grands. I was the youngest, much younger, of five kids. My siblings have all accused me of being spoiled, but I prefer to say I was well-loved, especially by my daddy. I was probably 10 years old before he called me by my birth name. I was always baby girl to him. There was never a time growing up and even into my adult life that I doubted my dad's love for me and my siblings and most of all my mother. He taught me what marriage really is and how to love with all of your heart. He taught me to always put God first. He showed me by example that you can't ever outgive God or the work of God. He was generous to a fault. His heart was very tender toward the kingdom of God especially toward missions, and he gave generously. His hugs were always so tight, and then there was always that one last squeeze at the end. He was a quiet man, but when I would ask him to pray for me, it was never a loud prayer, but his prayers touched heaven, and they were felt. He showed me the importance of reading the Bible through every single year. Troy and I had the privilege of living next door to him and mother for 13 years. Papa taught my kids how to drink coffee milk. I could always count on an afternoon visit to see if I had coffee made. Motorhoming was his favorite thing to do, and my kids got to go on numerous trips with him. During the, fine, during the past decade, his health began, began declining, but he and mother kept right on traveling until he just couldn't go anymore. He has been ready to go home, as he called it, for quite some time. He was tired, and his body was wearing out. Walking became a struggle, and falling became a normal thing for him. He was very worried about current events. Every day when we would go over to visit, he would ask when things were going to get back to normal. The past few months, I have watched him decline rapidly. And Troy and I tried to absorb as much of him as we could, as we knew his days were numbered. 
During his last hours, I watched him struggling to breathe, and my heart was so broken that my gentle giant dad, who had taught me so much, was finally getting to take his ride home. I laid my hand on his heart and asked God to give me a small portion of his kind and gentle heart that I could bless and serve others as he had done for so long. My purpose is clear. Heaven is my goal. I won't turn back. I've got so much to go to heaven for now. Thank you for being my daddy. I'm blessed beyond measure because I get to call you dad. I love you with all my heart, and I work every day to make sure that my family and I see you again on those streets of gold. Always and forever, daddy's girl, Patty. mine and Ricky's final words to a dad that we love so much. Outside of knowing God, there's no greater influence, no greater benefit, no greater blessing than having a faithful father figure in your life. Much of the trouble and social problems in our world today can be attributed to the lack of a faithful father figure in the lives of far too many. But for me and my siblings, we were so blessed to have a dad who was a consistent, faithful example to us all. So, Daddy, here's my final thank you note. First of all, thank you for your service to your country. As just a teenager, you were willing, you willingly served in the U.S. Army and endured unspeakable danger, hardship, and sacrifice on the front lines of the Korean War. Thank you for showing Gary and I how to be real men. Our world needs more godly men like you. Thank you for showing me how to be faithful to my family, how to be faithful to my wife, faithful to my children and grandchildren. Thank you for showing me how to work hard and be a faithful provider. Thank you for showing me the value of a dollar and how to be wise and frugal with my finances. You and mother could make a dollar go further than anyone I knew. And although you were a hard worker and very faithful to your job, Thank you for consistently taking off for our yearly vacations. You knew how to work, but also how to balance that with times of fun and adventure. I have so many great memories of our vacations to this day. We still have a love for traveling and seeing new places. Thank you for exposing me to rural farm life, open spaces, barns, cows, horses, tractors, and gardening. Not only was it a great part of my childhood, but I've had the privilege of returning to some of that in recent years, and I love it. As a young adult early in my career, I had a dream of starting my own business. I didn't have the money to get started, but you took a chance on me and loaned me money to start a business. That was 30 years ago. I've been self-employed ever since then and have enjoyed many blessings, uh, years of blessings in business. Thank you for helping me to get started. Thank you for showing me how to be faithful to church and make it a priority in my life. Thank you for showing me how to be a giver. Your faithfulness in giving to your local church and to missions around the world over the years has been amazing. 
Most of all, thank you for your unwavering faithfulness to God and his kingdom. I promise you, Daddy, that I will do my best to follow in your footsteps and also be faithful to God until my last breath, just like you, so that I can see you again someday. I love you, Ricky. One of the things that I sh shared with my dad, he was actually 25 years older than I was, but when it came to spiritual birthdays, we grew up together at the same age. I received the Holy Ghost in 1967 when I was 10 years old, and Daddy received the Holy Ghost three months later at camp meeting. And so he has served the Lord faithfully through all of those years, 53 to be exact, because I just celebrated my 53rd birthday in the Holy Ghost back in April. Uh, I'm not going to... Um, share a lot of the other things that have been mentioned by the other siblings because I could go on and on and on about the attributes and memories I have of my daddy. One thing I will say because this was something that was kind of funny when I thought back on it. Um, before before he got the Holy Ghost, he, um, he never came to church, so Sunday night was his time where the kids weren't present. And so he, he watched TV. And um, what came on while we were at church was Flipper and Bonanza. And so there were many times that I feigned sickness of different sorts to try and uh, see a Flipper and a Bonanza show. Even, even before he received the Holy Ghost, he had a discerning spirit and saw right through it. He said, go get ready for church. So I'd like, to, um, I'd, I'd like to close out the remarks of those of my siblings by reading a poem that represents all of our voices. The Final Vacation. And this is one that I wrote. The earliest memories that occur to me are lessons I learned at my daddy's feet. The footprints he left with each passing day helped me to successfully find my way. His pace was tireless and without hesitation while accomplishing the task with care and precision. The gift of the sower he entrusted to me, knowing the harvest I would eventually reap. He saved what he could for a special occasion that came once a year, our summer vacation. Without interruption for 14 days, our daddy was ours in so many ways. Whether hiking, fishing, or playing ball, Daddy was there involved with us all. Yes, vacation was my favorite time. My daddy was there, and he was all mine. One day soon in the sweet by and by, we'll join him again somewhere on high. Vacationing forever, how happy we'll be. Our loved ones in Jesus will surely see.
Such a joy to know that I am only passing through. I'm going home, going home where I belong. So while I'm here, I'll serve. But not for long And one day I'll be sleeping When death knocks on my door And I'll awake and find That I'm not homesick anymore I'll be I'll be home where I belong. It's an absolute honor to stand before all of you today and celebrate this amazing occasion of one man leaving behind such a troubled world and making his entrance into one that none of us here today can even fathom. I want to thank you all for coming and uh, for all the ministers that are here, pastors that are here, uh, 
There's a wonderful representation, and we thank you all for honoring this great man and his family with your presence today. And uh, I would like to send, uh, send out my sincere condolences to all of the family. You'll have to understand today that I'm not just pastor, but I've been part of this family much longer than I've been their pastor. <clears throat> and I will affirm today, before I read from the word of the Lord, that everything you've heard about Hubert Nixon today is true. And there's certainly far more that could be said. I want to read today from Matthew 14 and realizing my purpose here today, the, the eulogies have been done and they've been fantastic. I'd like to share to you with you today from the word of God. I'd like to applaud everyone that has preceded me. You've expressed incredible courage and um, everything was so well done and well said. I want to read today from Matthew chapter 14 beginning with verse 22. I will be as brief as I can. But this man has earned the time, however much that is, uh, he has earned the time today. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Then Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter was come down out of the ship and walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And beginning to sink, or excuse me, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and saith unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased, and they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Where to stare in a storm? Where to stare in a storm? There's something that Hubert learned a long time ago. I will refer to him today as Hubert in all due respect. But this is something that Hubert learned a long time ago, where to stare in a storm. I met him for the first time 46 years ago, back in 1974. I was 17 years old, and the friendship with Gary and Paula began almost immediately. Gary and Paula moved from Colorado first, and the rest of the family followed a few months later. And I began to hang out at their house a lot for several reasons. And um, it wasn't long until I was eating at their table consistently. 
It took a little while for me to get to know the very quiet man that sat at the head of the table. I learned after a while that he loved his family. He loved God. He loved the kingdom of God. He loved missions, as was mentioned previously. And he and Gloria loved the word of God. As a matter of fact, they've read their Bible through together 38 times. And even though they were way ahead this year in reading the Bible, Hubert didn't get to finish it. But now he's met the author of it, so it's okay. He was devoted, faithful, kind, patient, and one of the hardest working men I'd ever met. He loved rice and gravy, and as was mentioned, cayenne peppers and Zataran's root beer mix with no fizz. <clears throat> to Hubert, if there wasn't rice and gravy on the table, there was nothing to eat. A jar of fig preserves or steamed syrup and butter with white bread was a must for dessert. I have literally seen that man go through a quart of fig preserves in a week. Uh, so after watching him for the past 46 years, there's at least one very important thing that I've learned about him from him. He knew where to stare in a storm. I've seen him go through some really tough times with family, family-related things, church-related things. They attended this church for over 25 years. May I add longer than any other church they attended. But through it all, Hubert never wavered. He never doubted. He never lost out with God. He never gave up. Nothing would beat him down. He knew where to stare in a storm. In this one area, I believe he was a better man than even Simon Peter. Simon Peter learned the same lesson the hard way. It would be great if we could learn that lesson that Hubert learned, that Peter learned as well. I'd like for you to consider that Simon and the rest of the disciples were in a 30-foot fishing boat on the Galilean Sea. Jesus said, get in your boat and go to the other side and I'll meet you there. After a little while, while the Bible said the boat was now in the middle of the sea tossed by waves for the wind was contrary. As famous lakes go, Galilee only 13 miles at its longest, seven and a half miles at its widest, is a small but very moody lake. Its diminutive size makes it more vulnerable to the winds that howl out of the Golan Heights. They can blow a Greyhound bus off the highway. They can turn that little lake into a blender, shifting suddenly, blowing from one direction, then another. Winter months, such storms would come every two weeks or so, churning the waters for two to three days at a time. Peter and his fellow storm riders knew that particular night, which turned into the wee hours of the morning. They knew that they were in trouble. What would have been about a 60-minute cruise became a night-long battle. The boat lurched and lunged like a kite in a March wind. Sunlight was a distant memory. Rain fell from the night sky in buckets. Lightning slashed the blackness like a silver sword. Winds whipped the sails, leaving the disciples in the middle of the sea tossed, the Bible said, by the waves. 
apt description perhaps for our stage in life right now. Perhaps all we need to do is substitute a couple of nouns in the story. How about the passing of an amazing Christian man? about the passing of an amazing, faithful husband, a devoted father, and to his grandkids, a very annoying grandfather. Sometimes that's, and somebody that will be loved and missed terribly and dearly. The disciples fought the storm for nine cold, skin-drenching hours. And at about 4 a.m., the unspeakable happened. They spotted someone coming on the water, a ghost, they said. The Bible said, one one translation said, they cried out in terror. They didn't expect Jesus to come to them this way. He came to them to help them, to save them, but not the way they expected. Neither do we, neither did Hubert. Maybe Hubert expected Jesus to come in the form of a peaceful Sunday morning hymn or on a quiet Easter Sunday morning or even in a quiet RV uh, RV park in the mountains somewhere. Maybe he expected to find Jesus in the morning devotionals and Bible readings and church suppers and maybe even a little medication. I don't know that he ever expected to see him when finances were challenging and the kids were sick or even somewhere in Korea fighting for his life, or even the time when PTSD body slammed him to the ground, figuratively speaking. And even that time when an allergic reaction to medication put him in a coma and almost took his life. We don't expect to see Jesus in storms like these, like he comes. Neither did Peter, neither did Hubert. But it's in these storms that Jesus does his finest work. For it is in the storms that he has our most keen attention. That should, that should be the case with all of us here and now. Jesus replied to his disciples' fear with an invitation worthy of inscription on every church cornerstone and every, every residential archway. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. I believe Hubert heard those words many times throughout the years, but especially this past Wednesday night around 11. I really do not believe that any of us that were gathered around his bed last Wednesday night heard what he heard and saw what he saw in the most challenging and perhaps fearful time of fighting for his life. Jesus came to him with the same words as his disciples Don't be afraid. Take courage because I am here. Is there anyone here today hearing those words? He is here and he is saying those words. Power inhabits those words. To hear your wife of some 66 years say, baby, I'm here. To hear the support of your family come and say the words, we're here, daddy. The words, I am here, changes everything and Perhaps that's why God and the word of God repeats, repeats the pledge, I am here as often as he does. He said, you're in me and I am in you in John 14. He said in Matthew 28, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He said in John 10, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand, he said. 
Paul said, nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor worries for tomorrow, one translation said. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. We cannot go where God is not. You look over your shoulder and that's God following you. You look into the storm and that's Jesus coming toward you. Much to Peter's credit, he took Jesus at his word. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. That word come comes at the most inopportune time. Really, Jesus, you're inviting me to come to you right now in, in these conditions. Don't you feel the wind and see the waters and how boisterous everything you want me to come in these conditions? But Peter had come down out of the boat, the Bible said, and walked on the water going toward Jesus. I do not believe Peter would have made this request on a calm sea. I don't believe Hubert would have either. Had Christ strolled across a lake that was as smooth as glass, Peter would have applauded. And that's good, Jesus, you're amazing. You're out there and that's good and I'm in here and that's okay too. I doubt Peter would have stepped out of the boat. But storms prompt us to take unprecedented journeys. For a few historic steps and heart-stilling moments, Peter did the impossible. He defied every law of gravity and nature. He walked on the water, the Bible said, to go to Jesus. Some wouldn't have tolerated such brevity or swiftness. They would have flooded the margin with red ink. That's elaborate. How quickly did Peter exit the boat? What were the other disciples doing? What was the expression on his face when he did that? Matthew had no time for such questions. He moves us quickly to the major message of this event. And that's where to stare when you're in a storm. When Peter saw the Bible said that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Perhaps a wall of water eclipsed his view. Perhaps a gust of wind snapped the mast with a crack and a slap and maybe a flash of lightning illuminated the lake and the water looked like mountains to Peter. But somewhere Peter shifted his attention away from Jesus and toward the squall. And when he did, he sank like a brick in a pond. Give the storm waters more attention than the storm walker and get ready to do the same as Peter did. Whether or not storm comes, we cannot choose. Hubert couldn't. But where we stare during the storm, that is our choice. See, that's what I'm talking about with Hubert. He, he did better than most of us here today. I believe he even did better than Peter. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and he sank. But Jesus saved him. But I've never seen Hubert take his eyes off of Jesus. For 46 years, I've never seen him take his eyes off of Jesus. It didn't matter what was happening around him. He never took his eyes off of Jesus. He was steady, plodding along, always sitting in the same spot at church. We've witnessed amazing times in worship. I've seen him respond. I've seen him jump out of his wheelchair and walk down the aisle and then walk out the door, headed out for lunch. We witnessed that one Sunday. God is a little miracle and inspiration. I'm ready to eat. What's the point in hanging around? 
it's a true story. But he had amazing times. I've watched him beautifully filled up with the Holy Ghost many, many, many times. And in the Holy Ghost, at about 11.54 this past Wednesday night, as it was mentioned, his eyes opened wide. Those big crystal blue eyes opened for the first time in three days, staring straight up through the ceiling. And I believe he finally heard those words that Peter heard when Jesus said, or when Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. Hubert, somewhere in his comatose mind, saw Jesus coming on the stormy waves of unconsciousness, and he finally heard that invitation that he's been wanting to hear for so long, that he's been listening for for years. He heard that invitation come, and without hesitation, he went. So to us here today, his call to courage is not a call of naivete or ignorance. We aren't to be oblivious to the overwhelming challenges that life brings. We're here to counter, counterbalance them with long looks at God's accomplishments. Do whatever it takes to keep your gaze focused on Jesus. Keep reading your Bible and singing songs of inspiration. With my 10-year-old grandson, Joseph, sitting on my lap Wednesday night, just a couple hours before Hubert made his exit from this life, someone was playing the song that Ricky just sang. Joseph, listening to the words, he said, Papa, you need to speak about that song. It'll change your life. And he's right. It will change your life when you keep your eyes on him. Courage is always a possibility. Feed your fears and your faith will starve. But feed your faith and your fears will. Jeremiah did this. Jeremiah was depressed. Jerusalem was under siege. His nation was under duress. His world collapsed like a sandcastle in a typhoon. He faulted God for his horrible emotional distress. He was also blamed God for his physical ailments. Please don't do that today. His body ached. His heart was sick. His faith was puny. Jeremiah could tell you the height of the waves, if you will. He could tell you the speed of the wind. But when he realized how fast he was sinking, he shifted his gaze. He found out where to stare in the storm. He said in Lamentations 3, I recall this to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should have should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. He said, but this I call to mind. Depressed, Jeremiah altered his thoughts, shifted his attention, and turned his eyes away from the waves and looked into the wonder of God. He quickly recited a quintet of promises. I can envision him tapping those out on his fingers. I can see Hubert doing the same. The steadfast of the love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Jesus could have stilled the storm hours earlier for Peter, for Jeremiah, and even Hubert, but he didn't. He wanted to teach the followers a lesson. Jesus could have claimed your storm long ago too. He could have calmed your storm long ago, but he hasn't. 
does he also want to teach you the same lesson he taught these three men? Could the lesson read something like this? Storms are not an option, but fear is. God has hung his qualifications of being the one who can calm a storm. He's hung his qualifications in the universe. Rainbows, sunsets, horizons, star-sequenced skies. He has recorded his accomplishments in scripture. His resume includes Red Sea openings, lions, mouths closing, Goliaths toppling, Lazarus raising, even storm trolling. His lesson is clear. He is the commander of every storm. Are you scared in yours? Do what Hubert did. Stare at him. Don't take your eyes off of him. This may be your first storm, but it's certainly not God's. He's with every one of us today in this very trying time. Father, we love you today. And we are so thankful to have the word of God to stand on your presence to dwell in. Your presence has been rich in this building today. Because before all of us today is a man of amazing, godly, Christian example. A man who exemplified what it's like to truly love Jesus. A man that gave his heart to you completely and never took any of it back. He's been stalwart. He's been consistent. Yes, he's been that gentle giant. He's been the hub around which this family has revolved. He's the rock on which they've stood. But now all of that is going to be transferred to you. Hubert's gone, and today we say goodbye. But only for a short time when we'll be regathered together on that golden shore. And I do pray that his life is not lived in vain, but it'll be an everlasting impact on all of us as we see the beauty, the splendor, the glory of serving you with all of our heart. If any man ever truly put the kingdom of God first, Hubert did, and he did it without faltering. Help us all to follow that example. Help us to learn where to stare in the storm. And God, I pray for this sweet family today. Pray for Gloria, for Pam, for Gary, for Paula, for Ricky and Patty, for all the grandkids, the great-grandkids. It's going to be hard in the coming days and weeks to not see him sitting in his recliner when you walk through the back door. It's going to be challenging to go through the first Christmas and the first birthday the first Easter Sunday morning is going to be a challenge. But God, help us to learn from his example not to falter and not to waver, but to know where to keep our eyes, and that's firmly on you. I pray that you would keep them, comfort them, strengthen them, bless them. I pray that you would keep us all in a great time of unity and courage as we battle the future together, knowing that as much as heaven now is Hubert's, it'll be ours as well one day if we stay on the path. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. This does.
This does conclude all of the services here at Grace Church of Central. Um, we are going in procession to uh, uh, Green Oaks Memorial Park for the uh, burial of Mr. Nixon. During the procession, I please ask that you put your blinkers on. Uh, we will brief and momentarily be able to pay final respects to Mr. Nixon as well. After the cemetery, everyone is invited to come back to the Alexander Center for uh, refreshments and conversation. At this time, I please ask that immediate family and pallbearers please remain here inside. All others, as soon as we open Mr. Nixon's casket, I ask that you, if you would like to pay final respects, to come forward and then exit to give the family their last private moments. Um, get into your vehicles and wait for us to come for the procession. Thank y'all so much. Thank you. 